So why don't y'all do me a favor? Why don't we stand as we get ready to read God's Word? Um, if you don't mind turning your Bibles to Matthew 5, verse 6. It's just one verse today, um, just one. Uh, y'all think that means I'm going to be short, but that doesn't mean anything right now. Huh? <laughs> so if you're, if, you're, if you're picking up one of the Bibles from under your seat, it's on page 530. Um, why don't you follow on? I'm going to read this verse three times. Um, Matthew 5, verse 6 says this. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Why don't you pray with me real quick? Father, I thank you. Uh, Lord, I am always amazed by your grace. Amazed that I get to stand here and address your people, God. So just as Pastor Richard prayed, I pray that your, your word won't fall on deaf ears, but on fertile soil, God. Father, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross, Lord, that I would preach, thus saith the Lord, and nothing more, nothing less. God, use me in, in ways that I, don't, I, I wouldn't even ever able to imagine me to be used, Lord, because it's your spirit that does the heavy lifting, God. So I pray that your spirit does the lifting today, God, as your word is preached, Father. Let the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Man, um, I, every time I think about when I was a kid, I, I remember that I thought at one point in my life I could eat whatever I wanted, right? How many of y'all been like that? Y'all felt like, man, I could eat whatever I wanted. I remember growing up, I used to go, we had, to, had a corner store. I used to sell penny candy. I don't know if y'all remember penny candy. Some of y'all should. But I would, for $1, I can buy 100 pieces of candy. And so I would go home and I would devour that candy on top of a little hug. Y'all know what I'm talking about, a little juicy juice, a jungle juice. <laughs> we ain't had no flame of hot Doritos back then, but I would get a bag of chips as well. And I would just run it off. You know, I was just good. You know what I'm saying? Then I, I got to high school, and I thought, man, I can just eat whatever I want, so I would get some nachos. And I ate basically every day in high school. This is a confession. This is not, I'm not glorifying this, but I, I ate nachos, a honey bun, and a juice every day. <laughs> every day for lunch, that's what I ate. Then I got to college, and something happened. Things started to slow down a little bit, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Instead of gaining a, a freshman 15, I gave a sophomore 60. Amen. Come on. Amen. I was real skinny. I was about 125 pounds in, so I could, I could gain a few pounds in. But I just remember, man, thinking I could eat whatever I want. Nothing's going to happen to me until I turn 30. Mm. Come on, church. Till I turned 30, and I went to the doctor, and he told me I had high cholesterol. And he said, if I didn't do anything about it, he was going to put me on a pill. I said, not today, Satan. Nuh-uh. That ain't going to happen. You ain't going to put me on no medication right now. Now, I'm not dissing medication, but at the same time, I was 30 years old. I would always been in pretty good health, and so I, that wasn't going to happen to me this time. So I remember I was like, doctor, what I got, what I got to do? What I got to do? Because you ain't about to put me on no, no, no medicine or no pill right now. And so he told me, here's what you got to do, Mo. You got to change your diet. I said, what? Hold on, bro. What you mean? I said, yeah, man. You got to eat this Mediterranean diet, as he called it. More fish, more lagoons. You know what I'm saying? I said, that's beans, right? Yeah, that's beans. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And so for me, man, it was just, it was just this, this transition. I had to think about my diet for the first time in my life. I had to realize that a major part of my issue was the fact that I didn't eat healthy. I just didn't eat healthy. And so even for Christians, we would say, all of us would say, yeah, man, our diet is important, right? That it, it matters because we couldn't enjoy our life without having a, a healthy diet. If we got sick because of our diet, we would hate that. But see, listen, uh, we also have a spiritual diet that God wants for us, right? And it's more important than the, our physical diet. We need to eat good nutrition. We need to eat healthy because it's that vital for us. See, we're all created with a spiritual hunger inside. And many times our biggest issue is what we consume, our spiritual diet. Our spiritual diet is based on what the culture says. Most of the time, what they say is healthy. So our culture says a diet of self-indulgence is good, right? Eating whatever makes us feel good, that's what we think that we're supposed to be pursuing. But that's not what God says. In this text today, we have the mystery of what it means to have a good spiritual diet. That's why I titled this sermon, Eating Healthy, amen? This wasn't to convict you because what's about to happen on July 4th. That's not what I was trying to do. I know some of y'all are going to go ham, but here's the thing. We're talking about spiritual food, a spiritual diet. So we have to realize what God offers Christians is what makes us spiritually healthy. In this verse, Jesus gives us the key to spiritual health. See, a Christian's health depends on their spiritual diet. So in, there's going to be two uh, uh, things that I want to communicate with you today. It says, uh, it's a Christian, a healthy Christian craves to live for Christ. And two, a, a healthy Christian is only satisfied with Christ. Amen? And so one of the things, I, I, you know, I want to paint the scene a little bit. What's been happening up until now? See, geez, these are Jesus' words, right? And so Jesus has been going up and down Galilee, and what he's been doing um, uh, is, is, is really healing people and, and preaching the kingdom of, of heaven. All throughout the, 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 the Galilee, he's been healing people, and so people have, have, have been drawing to him. They've been coming to him, so crowds started to gather around him. And so what Jesus does is, man, I'm about to go up on this mountain, and i got an opportunity to teach. Jesus loves the opportunity to teach, amen? If you look at Scripture, Jesus always uses every moment as a teachable moment for his disciples. So he uses this moment as a teachable moment for his disciples. So he goes up on the mountain, and he starts to begin to teach what it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. We call this the Sermon on the Mount. And so in this Sermon on the Mount, there's these eight phrases he begins with. They're called the Beatitudes. And in these eight phrases, what Jesus is trying to do is talk about the characteristics of those who are in the kingdom of heaven. These eight phrases are the building blocks of what makes us true Christians. So in the fourth characteristic, Jesus is saying, this is what makes us a healthy Christian, that, that, that their spiritual health depends upon what they crave. See, Jesus is like a good dietitian. He gives guidelines to what it means to eat healthy. See, Jesus isn't vague in this text. He tells them exactly what they need to be healthy. So this brings me to my first point. A healthy Christian craves to live for Christ. First of all, the first part of this verse is a little interesting. I don't, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. First of all, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound quite right. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. First of all, there ain't nothing blessed about being hungry and thirsty, in my opinion. Just check my IG. If y'all look at my Instagram post, all y'all see is about what I eat. I love to eat. I delight in eating. One of my favorite things to do is eat. And I look at this, and I'm like, Jesus, you tripping. <laughs> Blessed are those who, are, who hunger and thirst. I never put those two things together. 
Listen, the word blessed means happy. But see, it's not this happiness that we think of, because it wouldn't make any sense. Happy are those who hunger and thirst? No. It's not this emotional state, or it's not a feeling. What he's saying is happiness is a state of being fortunate. Let me, let me give you a, a, what he's talking about. He says, you are happy and you are, because you are hunger, hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Here's the thing. He's saying you are blessed. You are, you, are, you are happy because you are fortunate to have a taste for righteousness. This is big right here because we don't, as sinners, we don't have a taste for righteousness. We have a taste for sin. So what Jesus is telling his disciples, you are blessed because you have a, what? A taste and a desire for righteousness. He says, man, you have a taste for what's nutritious, not what's bad. This is important, church, but understand that Jesus is trying to help them understand that, look, your hunger, your hunger and thirst is not for junk food, but it's the things that make you healthy. Jesus is a great dietitian, but what is this righteousness thing? See, first of all, Jesus has got his hands on two types of righteousness when I, I believe in this text. When he's saying righteousness is the imputed righteousness that God has given us through the gospel. And righteousness is also the implanted righteousness. And what implanted righteousness is, it's us conforming to the will of God. It's us looking at the Bible, seeing the Bible, ingesting the Bible, and then being obedient to the Bible. This is what it means to be righteous. The righteous means that we have a desire for God a hunger for God, a thirst for God, but also to live for him as well. This is important, Christians. He's given us a key to what it means to be spiritually healthy. But see, here's the thing. Hunger and thirst aren't just what we think of. It's not like this polite tap and saying, I'm hungry. I'm, I, I need a little bit of snack. I need a, I need a cliff bar. That's not what he's saying right here. He's not saying, I need a cliff bar. I need a little snack. I need a, some cheeses. I need some, you know, he's not saying that right now. What he's saying, hunger and thirst, in his, in his verse means starvation. It means that we're starving to be righteous. We're starving for his righteousness. What, what does starvation mean? Starvation means that we are, we are dying, right? That life is leaving our body. What is, why do we even eat health in the first place? Because we want life to bring life into our body. The main, the main reason why I eat, I eat healthy now is because I want to live longer. This is what Jesus is trying to communicate to them. If you want, if you eat righteousness, you will live. If you eat sin, you will die. So this is what Jesus is trying to tell them. He said, but you have to be starving for this righteousness. You've got to want it. And see, I, I think one of the things that we, we, we wrestle with, in this, in this, especially in this culture, this American culture, is that none of us really know what starvation feels like, right? Amen? None of us really know what it's like to starve. That's not everybody, but some people don't really know what it means to really starve and be hungry like that. And some of us, man, we, we, we look at life and we're like, man, hey, I can just go and get these snacks under, under my cupboard. Or if I get hungry, man, I can just uh, uh, do some Uber eating, you know what I'm saying, or Postmates. We don't really know what it means to starve, do we? But see, what Jesus is doing, he's using a basic illustration uh, uh, to use, he's using this basic illustration of hunger and thirst to, to talk about a deeper spiritual reality for us. Here's the thing. I, I remember this movie called Castaway. Anybody seen it? Castaway uh, with Tom Hanks? It's a good movie. I love the movie. It's about this FedEx guy. No spoiler alert. This is just about what the movie's about. You can tell what the movie's about. It's not a spoiler alert. Uh, so one of the things that happens, he's a FedEx guy. He's traveling overseas, and he, it, somehow he gets stranded on an island. 
And so during this time, you know, he's just by himself. There's nobody else around. It's just him and this guy named Wilson. And Wilson is actually a, a volleyball, if you remember the movie. <laughs> but one of the things, that he, it's called the coconut scene. And in this scene, uh, he, you know, he's trying to fix him some, you know, he's trying to fix him some shelter or something. I don't know actually what he's doing, but he's trying to fix something, maybe even a hook to get something to eat. Then he hears a thump behind him. He's like, uh, what's that thump? What's that sound? First of all, a brother like me would have ran first. But somehow Tom Hanks thought it was a good idea to turn around and see what it was. I don't know. And so, and so what he does is he goes and sees it's a coconut. And so he gathers five or six coconuts together. And what he starts to do is, man, he's trying to bash them and trying to open them. He's relentless to get to it. He's thirsty. He's like, man, I'm dying out here. Life is leaving my body. I got to get to what's in the center. So he's taking rocks and he's smashing it. He's throwing against walls. His brother's trying to get to what's inside there. He's starving. This is what Jesus is talking about. A person that is starving has a singular focus. They're focused on the righteousness of Jesus. They're not focused on anything else. They're focused on the thing that will, that will give them life. They're obsessed to fill their stomachs. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, see, a healthy Christian says this, a healthy Christian says this, that nothing else will do except for fellowship with God and obedience to him. That's what a healthy Christian says. That if I don't have fellowship with God, I, I don't want it. I don't want anything else. If I don't have fellowship with God, I don't, I don't want. I don't want to be obedient to God. I don't want nothing else. That's all I want. I want to be obedient to God. I hunger and I thirst for that. But here's the thing: before we could ever hunger and thirst to be like God, we have to hunger and thirst for Jesus. Amen. We need the imputed righteousness of God. See, a healthy diet starts with the gospel. The gospel is the building blocks of our diet as Christians. If we notice the flow of the Beatitudes, let's just look at the, the first three Beatitudes. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. We are spiritually empty. Blessed are those who mourn, meaning we grieve our sin. Blessed are those who are humble, meaning that we see our need for Jesus. Look, there's a desperation for God, that is, and it's only satisfied through the gospel. We know where life is, and it's in the gospel. We're desperate for that life. It lies in Jesus. But here's the thing. All of humanity is desperate for, for Jesus and the gospel, but we settle for counterfeits that are empty. I remember growing up, I, I, we had Sunny Delight. How many of y'all drank Sunny Delight growing up? You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all had Tampico. I understand, but we all had Sunny Delight. <laughs> Amen. And I remember I was drinking Sunny Delight. I remember, man, you know, it's juice. It's right by the orange juice. It's juice. You couldn't tell me no different. I was a young kid. It's juice. Maybe got a little mango or something else in it because it tastes a little different. But it's juice. Amen? I remember I started reading labels. Man, that messed me up. Man, I read it was 5% juice and Sunny Delight. This ain't juice. Mama, why you let me buy this? You know what I'm saying? This isn't healthy, Mama. And I was confused because I actually thought it was juice, but I was fooled. See, that's what sin's like. That's what life is like. We get all these alternatives to God. They look like they might be as good as God, but they never are. Amen? Nothing's as good. Nothing we can crave is, is deeper, that satisfies us deeper than what God can. Even Solomon knew this. 
In Ecclesiastes, he said that every pursuit other than God is vanity. Man, look what St. Augustine says. He says, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our lives are a mad scramble to try to find something that fills our emptiness. Maybe for, for you it's sex. Maybe for you it's power. Maybe for you it's homes. Maybe for you it's to acquire land. Maybe for you it's sports, entertainment, education. Maybe it's, it's your children. Maybe it's your spouse. We fill our lives with things to try to fill that emptiness and that void that's inside. Man, none of those things are necessarily bad, but there'll never be enough to fill that void. Pascal said it like this. He says, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man, which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. The first, beati- the first three Beatitudes were trying to show us that we are spiritually empty and we need Jesus. Humanity is created by God and cannot be satisfied until we have fellowship with God. Nothing else will do. So this is what we, thought, we, we, we thirst for, a righteousness that is outside of ourselves, an alien righteousness that can bring us back to God. First and foremost, we have to recognize that we are Spiritually empty, like the first beatitude says, we are, we, are, we are spiritually poor. The Bible teaches that our own righteousness is not good enough. It teaches that no one is righteous, no, not one, that we have all sinned and walked away from God and stand in rebellion to him. And the only way we can be made right with God is to acquire a new righteousness. In the gospel, there's this great exchange that what? We get Jesus' righteousness, and he takes our sins to the cross. And dies for them. That's the beauty of the gospel. This is why he said, he who knew no sin, the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 3.18 says it as well. It says, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might what? Bring us to God. This is what salvation is. Not trusting in a righteousness that comes from you, but trusting in a righteousness that has been given to you by Jesus. This is what justification is, if you know that big word. That Jesus Christ justifies us by giving us his righteousness and taking our sins. But that's the beauty. That's when, you know, that's when we taste and see that the Lord is good through the gospel. That the beauty of the gospel is that what Jesus Christ did for us paid the penalty for our sins. And now we get to taste and see and experience the, the fullness of who God is. And so we don't just want to just know him in, in an infinite way. We want to live for him. The implanted righteousness of God. Even Jesus had, had this sense of this is what his food was. This is what his meal says. He says even Jesus said his food was to do the will of the one who sent him. Man, don't we all need the diet of Jesus? Don't we all need a new diet plan? Because if we don't have one, we'll be living our life aimlessly for empty ambitions. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. You want to diagnose your spiritual health? How desperate are you for fellowship with God? What lengths do you go to make sure that you spend time with Jesus? Are you distracted by life so much that, that you, don't wanna, you don't have a desire to spend time with the one who saves you? Also, how about this? How desperate are you to just live for God and to walk in obedience to him? 
How desperate are you? Does this desire consume you? Because if a person is hungry and thirsty for righteousness, it consumes them. They're starving. They can't think of anything else but to please the one who has saved them. That's what the Bible is teaching us. Just be a little bit practical. Like the word of God is supposed to feed us, right? But sometimes we treat it like a, a midnight snack. Like it's one thing amongst a whole bunch of other things we can choose. So think about when, you, when you're tired and you're restless. Think about when you're just, just you know, I'm like, hey, man, I, I, man, I you, got some you got some downtime. You know what I'm saying? Do you click, quickly turn on the TV? Do you quickly open up a, a good book to rest? Do you quickly just run to the beach in relaxation? Or do you run to Christ and Jesus in prayer and through his word? See, the word of God is not like a snack among other snacks. It's a feast. It's our daily meal. This is, what, this is what Jesus even said about the word of God. He said this when he was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He said, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of who? God. You can't live this life as a Christian and think you're healthy without the word of God. We have to have a desperation for it. We've got to know it's the thing that feeds us, that brings us life. I love what Psalm 63 says. Uh, in the beginning, you hear this desperation for God. The verse reads like this. God, you are my God. Listen to this. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a dry land, uh, dry, in a land that is dry, desolate and without water. But then if you move down to verse 5, it says this. It says, you satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you. With joyful lips. See, David had this deep experience with God. He, he delighted in, in God. He, he loved God. He, he wanted more of him. He delighted. He, he communed with God. And the way we commune with God, the way we have fellowship with God, primarily is through his word. But some of y'all might be looking at me, Pastor Mo, look, man, I don't have this strong desire like you're talking about. I, I kind of want it, I want it, but I don't have it. But here's the thing. Maybe your taste buds have, your taste buds have dulled a little bit over time. Maybe here's three reasons why your taste buds might have dulled. Maybe because you're so distracted with life that you live your life in, in a, we live, listen, we all live our lives in an in a apt world that we just want to look at things. We're, we're easily stimulated by so many things in life. We're so distracted that we can't even focus on one thing for five seconds. That's how we live our lives. We're so distracted by all the things we need to accomplish, all the things that's in our lives, whether it be my kids, whether it be my, my roommates, whether it be my friendships, whether it be my parents, whether it be my, my, somebody, maybe my job, maybe it's other things. But we live so distracted and think those things are more important than spending time in the Word. Man, we're like kids on Christmas, like little kids. I got little kids. You know, I mean, well, they're not that little no more. I got a five and an eight-year-old. But I remember when Elisha was about three years old, and we, it was our first Christmas. And I remember when he, it was one of his uh, first Christmases. I remember he was the first time he could really open up a package. And I remember he was so infatuated with the, the wrapping paper and the bow rather than the, pre, the, the present inside. But that's how we all are, right? We get so distracted by the shiny paper of life, the bows of life, that we don't realize the primary gift is in Christ himself. In Jesus, we can't live that distracted because what we need is the good nutrition that comes from God's word. Like Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, we are tempted all the time, aren't we? 
That's what they're prone to wander. Lord, I know. Prone to leave the Lord. The Lord, I love. This is the problem with most of us. We're so tempted every day, and we, we, we don't have the good nutrition in God's word to give us the strength to deny ourselves and say yes to God. Why do you keep falling into sin? It's because of that, maybe. You don't have a healthy diet of God's word. Maybe do this, and I don't want you to feel bad. Maybe, why don't you start off something a little light? We're trying to build consistency in your life. Maybe just try reading, try doing an audio Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe just spending time in, in, in a good devotional book. I, I can mention a few devotional books if you, if you want to know, but just start off light. But don't be in this type of danger. Another reason our taste buds might dull is because of unconfessed sin in our lives. Let's be honest with ourselves. This might take a little bit more introspection because I'm not talking about the big sins. Most of the time we can recognize the big sins in our lives because we're good enough Christians for that, right? Oh, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have sex outside of marriage. We don't, we don't go steal people's cars and rob people's banks. You know what I'm saying? That's right. We don't do those things. But I, I, it might not be obvious, but most of the times we all have some type of what we, I like what Jerry Bridges calls it, respectable sins in our lives. Things like uh, anxiety, discontentment, unthankfulness, pride, irritability, being judgmental, selfishness, envy, jealousy. At the root of all those things is sin. It's usually the ones we can't see. But people know when you're tripping. People know when you're being prideful, but they don't usually call that one out, do they? They allow you to sit and dwell in, in, in the muck and mire of your sin without saying anything to you. And sometimes that means you go blindly as well. Sometimes that just means you don't recognize the sin. And so that's what we have to do sometimes. Sometimes we need to do what uh, David did in, in Psalm 179. Says, God, search me. Look at me. See if there's any offensive way in me. Sometimes we need to lay, we need to leave the word of God. And that's why we need a healthy diet of the word of God because we can actually see ourselves truly of, as to how we really are. Sinners who need a savior, who need help. Man, the only, only solution for this one is, is that we recognize our sin, we repent, and we turn back to God. And the last one, some of us might just be struggling to delight in. You know, you're like, I don't get these feelings, Mo. I don't really get these feelings about God. I, I don't feel these, like, excitement about his word. And I understand what you mean. I don't always get excited about certain things myself. Let me give you, a, let me just tell you the reality of marriage most of the time. Let me give you a secret. You don't always feel like you love your spouse. Amen? So. <laughs> I guess it's not going to, hey, look at that. If you want to be, if you want to be honest about it, you don't always feel that way. Sometimes you wake up, you're like, hey, mm, how you doing? Oh, no, I love my wife. Don't get it twisted. But I don't always feel that way. I'm, it's not always like, man, oh, I got these, these bubbly feelings for her. So if, I, if, if, if my commitment to my wife was based on my feelings, I would be, never be committed to her in the first place. Some of us got to realize that our, our commitment to God's word is not based on our feelings. It's based on our commitment to him, the one who saved us, who redeemed us. Here's the thing. Amen. Clap for that. But here's the issue. 
What happens when I continue to, uh, to, to read God's word? That delight, I start to read and, and, and delight myself in God's word. Those feelings will come. Man, the more and more I look at my wife, the more and more I spend time with my wife, the more and more I'm talking with her and I'm sharing my heart with her and she's sharing her heart with me, the more and more we pray together, the more and more we do things together. Boy, I tell you, I love that woman. That's just the honest truth. The more you do something, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more time you feel in love with Jesus. You got to ask yourself, how much time are you really spending with God's word? Are you doing enough in that relationship? To experience those feelings. But I don't base it on those feelings. I'm committed to, to Jesus because he is my Lord. He, what he's done for me. I, I recognize that sometimes I need to continue to rehearse the gospel over and over again. To remind myself. Sometimes, man, I, I did it this week. I reminded myself of that day I married Sandy. Woo! And I said, man, I just remember those, those times. and those, 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 Yeah, man, it was such an amazing time. And it's still more amazing the more I get to know her. How she continues to accept me the way I am. How she continue, continues to serve me as her husband. Sometimes you've got to reflect on those things and reflect on the goodness of Jesus. Remind yourself of what he's done in your life. Here's the thing. Let me ask a question. Some of us might not feel like we want to spend time in God's word because we feel what? We feel like it's legalistic. You know what I'm saying? Oh, if I commit to doing this and if I don't finish it up, man, I don't want to feel like I'm, I feel these bad feelings. Here's the thing. Again, our feelings don't dictate our response and our commitment to Jesus. We can't base our commitment to Jesus on our feelings. Let me ask a question. In the process of trying to eat healthy, does it always feel good? Sorry, I didn't hear you. In the process of trying to eat healthy, does it, try, does it always feel good? It doesn't. Here, here's the thing, church. But you love the results, don't you? You love the life that it gives you. Let me ask you a question. Has there ever been any bad things or any negative things that happened in your life from reading God's Word? No, it hasn't. Typically, if you're, you're reading and you're digesting God's Word and have a healthy diet on it, you start to grow. You start to love God more. You start to want to be obedient to God's Word. That's what happens. But here's the thing. I don't want to lose sight of the fact that are, are, are we truly hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Because righteousness doesn't mean just we desire just Jesus, but we also desire to follow Jesus. So are you conforming to the image of Christ is the question. Are you looking more and more like Jesus every day? This is the implanted righteousness that we have this desire not just to read his word, but to live it out. Are you starving to be holy? Do you want to be pure? Does the thought of just sexual, sex outside of marriage or pornography or anything like that disgust you? Do those things disgust you? Do you want Jesus to be pleased with your life? Here's the thing. When we talk about holiness, it's much more than just pure, just, just about sexual purity. It's, it's purity of character. It's about your integrity as well. Does it disgust you to think about lying? Does it disgust you to think about uh, hurting other people's feelings? Does it disgust you to, to, to steal from other people? Do it, are your, are, look, the more we desire Jesus, the more we, we become like him, the more we start to hate sin in our lives. We become more sensitive to the sin in our lives and the sin of others' lives. That don't mean we go bashing people over the head, but we don't tolerate the, the shows we used to watch. 
When we see sin on the TV, we don't just be like, oh, that's funny, ha, ha, ha. You know? We get tired of it. We get tired of seeing people disobey Jesus. I mean, I can think about it just today. I, I saw something, and I laughed, and I, I smirked at it, and I was like, oh, my goodness, what kind of, this is sinful. Why should I even, even delight myself in this? Sometimes we've got to watch what we're looking at on TV and ask ourselves, should we be reading or looking at these things? Or <sighs> I know reading is great, and I know Bible study is great, and I don't want to minimize those things, but those things, we do those things so that we can live like Christians. So I ask, I ask the question, is, are you serving somebody right now? Are you caring for the needs of somebody else? Are you caring for the poor? Because Jesus did those things. Are we teaching people the word of God? Jesus did that. Are we concerned about what's happening in our own communities? Because this righteousness that he's talking about just doesn't extend just to the household of faith, but it extends to those outside of the household of faith. Do we care about social justice? Do we care about those people who are being separated from their families on the border? Are we so woke that, we look, that we're asleep to compassion? We've got to care about people. We've got to care about the injustices that are happening in our, in our society. When people are marginalized, how often do you go to somebody who's marginalized and offer help when you know they're being marginalized? How often when you see wickedness happen on the street, do you step in? Uh, I'm going to just tell this story. I, I didn't plan on doing this. Recently I saw this guy, um, I, was, I was going for a run, I, I saw a guy beating on his girlfriend. Now the first thing I thought was, I might get shot. <laughs> this brother might have a gun. This brother doesn't look like he's, he's my friend at all right now. But I ran up on the brother. Oh, I was scared. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. But as I saw him, it wasn't that I went at him and was like, brother, what you doing, homeboy? Like I was about to hit him or fight him. I said, brother, what are you doing? I said, man, you don't want to do this, brother. This is not the right way. I've been married for a long time. Come on, let's, let's go for a walk. Let's go talk. Because I, I, as much compassion I had for her, I saw his spiritual needs first. Yeah, I, want, I wanted her to have justice. And she did because the police came and got that brother. And I told him, man, brother, you're going to jail. I'm an eyewitness to what, this, what happened. But, brother, I, right now I'd rather your soul be in heaven than you, be, than, than you just rot in, hell for not, I mean, rot in jail for no reason. The reality for us is that we've got to care about what's happening in our communities. That's why I love what the bike shop is doing. I love what the Rights of Passage program means for our community. I love when I see members bring other people from the, our community to our church I love when people invite people over to their homes and to get to know them and offer them relationship at minimum. Are you making new friends? Who are your friends? Do you get outside your Christian bubble? The question is, what is God calling you to do? Jesus was going around preaching the kingdom of heaven. He was going around talking about all the things that God was doing in this generation. About, but he's also meeting people's needs. He was preaching the gospel, and he was meeting people's needs. He did both, not just either or. That's what we have to do as a church. We have to do the things that God has called us to do, to display the greatness of Jesus in our everyday lives. We're here to serve and be a light to this community. Look at it. We have to crave to live for Jesus. Now, my second point is this. A healthy Christian 
is only satisfied with Christ. And this is probably one of the greatest endings to a verse ever. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? For they will be what? Filled. Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't let us begrudgingly go through life just doing uh, meaningless tasks. He doesn't say, hey, man, well, you're just going to have to suffer all the way through this. What he's saying is that we can delight in what he's doing, and he brings great deep satisfaction in being obedient to him, to living for him. That is an amazing fact for people who've been striving to live like Jesus, because if that was the truth, that all I got was just pain and suffering and no delight in what he was doing, maybe I might might rethink this. But here's the thing, Jesus says you can be satisfied, you can be fulfilled. This word filled means to fill our bellies like an animal who eats till, till they're content, that we've eaten our portion, that we're satisfied. But here's the paradox in this. Though we are satisfied when we live for Jesus and we start to experience the satisfaction that comes from doing that, we're still always hungry to do more. We're always hungry to do more because we want more of Jesus. We want to do more for Jesus. And we, we're satisfied, but we always want more. Let me illustrate this in a little, little just analogy. Um, my favorite cake is a Cleveland Casada cake. Amen. Y'all don't know. Y'all be shouting right now if y'all knew. Uh, I grew up on this cake. I love this cake. I ain't going to front. That's a strong word, love, but I ain't going to lie. We've been committed for a long time in this cake. <laughs> But this cake is so good. I remember having it for the first time. Hey, if you're from Cleveland, I know my boy Zach from Cleveland. It's a place called Corbo's. And it's the only place really to get a good slice of Cleveland Casada cake. And I remember when I was a kid, my mom used to give me, I would devour it, I would eat it. But so, you know, I'm, I'm not in Cleveland anymore. It's the only place you can get it. So I have a beautiful, wonderful wife who makes it for me on my birthday. Amen. Oh, yeah. And I remember, I just know when she first made this cake, man, I was so excited. I was, ooh, I can't wait for it. I mean, I've been loving this cake since I was a kid. I can't wait for it. And so I get that daddy slice of cake. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That big daddy, that that huge slice, that unreasonable slice of cake. You know what I'm saying? It's my cake. It's my favorite. My kids try to get some. I'm slapping their hands. Get away from my cake, son. It's daddy's cake. So I eat that big daddy slice. It's gone. A couple minutes. I'm satisfied. Mmm, that feel good, man. That's good. I can't, I can't. Man, baby, you did great. Amen. <laughs> Hour goes past. I think I want some more, man. You know, I, that, that slice wasn't like that, that daddy slice that I'm used to. You know, I need that. I need a little more slip. So I go in there, you know, I cut me another little slice. It's a little slice. Mmm. Satisfied. Then I'm just trifling. I just go and take the fork and just go in it that much. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's what you do, man. That's me. That's my cake. That's my cake, folks. <laughs> my wife knows. My wife knows. She knows what I do, man. Praise God, she's still with me. Uh, <laughs> I go after that cake. But here's what I'm trying to communicate is that the cake is so good. I'm so delighting in the cake, I just want more. I'm never satisfied. I just want to do more. I'm satisfied, but I want to do more. I, I want to continue to live for Jesus. Jesus is that good that I want to continue to live for him. I can delight all I want in Jesus, but I can never get enough. That's the beauty of, of Christ that he creates in us, this, this spiritual hunger and this thirst in us. And it cannot be satisfied completely. It, I mean, it is satisfied completely, but it, we continue to hunger for that satisfaction to please him. 
Here's the thing. In John 6, Jesus said it like this. He says, I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one comes to me. Uh, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. See, here's the thing about this text. Comes and believes is a continuous action. We've got to continue to come to Jesus, be filled. We've got to continue to be, believe in Jesus and be filled. Jesus echoed the words to the, to the Samaritan woman at the well when she was placing her trust in relationship versus Christ. And she said this, he said this, he told, said this about the natural water versus the, the spiritual water. He said, Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will get thirsty again. That's the natural water. But the, the spiritual water that he's going to offer her says this. He says, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never be, get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? We're overflowing with Jesus' love. We're overflowing with his acceptance. And we still desire Jesus. We just still desire to be filled. We can't be passive in our pursuit for Jesus. We've got to continue to come to him, be filled, continue to believe in him, be filled. Listen, y'all, on this side of eternity, it's going to take work to be satisfied in Jesus. We're going to, we're going to, it's going to take us coming to him and, and getting up and going to him, and it won't be as consistent as we would like it to be. It won't. But we should be thankful for any craving we have for Jesus. Amen? The fact that it shows that we have spiritual life in us. If you're, if, you're, if you're a healthy Christian, you will continue to hunger for righteousness, pursue being filled, and then come back for more. We are to be obsessed with Christ and know that nothing else will ever do. Here's the good news, though. Because this, 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 this phrase says that we will be filled. It, it, it hints at something, that there's going to be a time where there's going to be a, a perfect filling. A perfect satisfaction. So the satisfaction we feel on this side of eternity is just a foreshadowing of what we will experience when he comes back and we are united with Christ forever. This is the beauty of this, that Jesus is saying that we are his bride and he is the groom and that we prepare ourselves for his return so that we will, one day we will be fully satisfied and we are united with him. I was recently thinking about, uh, again, I was, talking about, I was thinking about our wedding day, uh, me and my wife. And I was thinking about how long it, it took her versus getting ready, her, her getting ready versus me getting ready. I just remember our brother just got a haircut, brushed his teeth, washed up, put on a suit. You know what I'm saying? That's all I did. But I think about the process my wife had to, to, to go through this, to prepare herself to that day when she met me right there at that altar. I remember my wife having to pick out her dress had to pick out her jewelry, had to pick out her shoes, had to, had, to, had to know how she wanted her hair done. She had to do this all way before the day, but she was preparing herself. She was thinking about, man, all the things that she would have to do to prepare herself for that day. She told me just recently that she, she, she didn't even plan her makeup. That was just an impromptu thing. I was like, all right, baby, you look good. <laughs> but here's the thing. I remember that day just like it was yesterday. I remember seeing my bride walk down that aisle, and she was gorgeous. I remember seeing Sandy like, oh, my goodness, this is me. I did good. <laughs> Amen. But here's the thing. That's a foreshadowing of what, what Jesus said. 
in, uh, in, in the revelation of John, in, 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 in chapter 19, verse 7 and 8, there's this, this is parallel to what I'm talking about. There's a, this, is, this is wedding that's about to occur between the, 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 the Jesus and his, his church. And it says this in verse 7. It says, let us be glad, rejoice, give him glory. Because what? The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. Listen to this, verse 8. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. Listen to this. The, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Church, we are preparing ourselves for the day we meet Jesus. That is our goal in life. That's what we mean when we say that. We are preparing one another to meet Jesus. Because there's one day we will stand before our Lord and he will look at us and he will say, you are mine, I'm yours. Be delighted in me forever. That is the beauty of what we get to experience as Christians, that we will see Jesus as he is. Our groom will be there looking at us when we're living our lives righteously and saying, look at my bride. Look at my church. Look at how they live for me, how committed they were to being obedient to me. That's the beauty of this text. Church, we all need help in this area. We all need help. Man, the Bible talks about us as, as a church helping each other in this way. So don't be surprised when somebody is saying, hey, I want you to live more like Jesus. I see your life. Look at your life. But I think the Bible says this about your life. And that's caring for you in a deep sense. That's caring for you. That's what meaningful membership looks like, is that we're caring for each other's souls. Here's the thing, y'all. We've got to ask ourselves a few questions. First of all, we've got to ask ourselves what is Jesus, Jesus teaching me lately in the Bible? We need people even asking us that question. We also need to ask ourselves, man, have we seen any growth in our life? That's, that's practical. Think about it right now. Do you see yourself growing spiritually? What that means is do you see yourself eating good nutrition and becoming like Jesus more and more? Are you preparing for yourself for the day you meet Jesus? What's your ambition? Are you hungry and thirsty? Are you starving to practice righteousness? Church, that's what we need. We need, every, we need somebody to help us because we all fall off our diet, friend, don't we? Sometimes, you know, our brother's just struggling. Our sister's just struggling. And we need to remind ourselves of the beauty and the, the health that Jesus brings us when we commit ourselves to living for him. Again, I'm not talking about this doesn't save anybody, but just living righteously. At the, at, at the time when you look at this text, especially Revelation 19, that's not what the righteous acts did. They didn't provide this, this, this marriage. But what it did, it was it prepared them for the marriage. Church, let us just pray and ask God for the strength and the desire to live righteousness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love for us, God. I thank you for challenging even me to understand, Lord, that I have to desire you more. I have to desire living righteous, righteously for you more, God. Lord, I pray, God, for our church. I pray, Lord, that you would give us all a hunger and thirst for righteousness, God. 
that you would give us a, a, a dying passion to live for you, God. We understand that this isn't what saves us, God, but we want to be able to delight in you, God, and experience your fullness of life, Lord. We understand that you, provide, you promise satisfaction, God. And, Lord, I pray that every person under the sound of my voice will experience satisfaction. Father, we know we, that you loved us, and you do love us, Lord, because you did what you did on the cross for us and for our sake. Let us be reminded about the good news of Jesus Christ, your son, and what he's done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.